We're currently in a, a series uh, called Following Jesus, His Life and Teaching. And uh, we're each Sunday providing a handout, which should be coming around shortly. If somebody could help with that. I had got them. They're back in somebody's hand. They're working on it. And um, <clears throat> this is to help you know what we're going to be teaching about next Sunday, but more significantly, uh, to have it to read and consider and reflect during the week. And uh, my invitation is for us as a church to participate in reflecting on these passages rather than just me coming and, and bringing you my reflections and my understandings. And I have, uh, I have been hearing of more and more people, particularly families, uh, who are, are working on this uh, and doing this during the week, and that's very encouraging. And my hope is that um, as we uh, read and reflect during the week and then here on Sundays, that it will help us uh, not only to better uh, understand Jesus' life and teaching, but at the same time, it will help us as we actually give time in our life during the week to Christ, to connecting with him and his word, that we would grow in a daily interactive relationship and companionship with God, as well as with one another in the world. This week, we're going to be looking at the account of uh, Jesus meeting with Nicodemus, and here is that uh, passage. So the one I just gave you is not for this morning, if you're happy to be a guest, so you can put that away. And we'll be looking at this text this morning. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night, by stealth, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter the second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, You must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? In other words, this is unbelievable. Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly. I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up 
that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So each Sunday I have been inviting someone spontaneously to share a highlight or something that stood out to them during this past week in their own reflections or their family reflections. Uh, I think it's been encouraging the weeks that uh, we've had someone be willing to do that. And again, this is unprepared on my part, hopefully prepared uh, spontaneously for yours. You have something to say about this text. Okay? Okay. Thank you. That is good, Kitty. Thank you. You know, that phrase, um, cannot see the kingdom of God, actually is a really crucial, and I think that's what she was referencing, was that aspect of keeping our eyes open. Thank you. Before I continue, let's pray. Papa, even now, um, might you calm the distractions that are in our minds? and even in our hearts. That we could be at rest and at peace here, now. To be present to you. Even as this text is talking about, that we can see and enter your eternal life, your kingdom that is all around us, that's present right now. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see that go beyond our natural senses. Holy Spirit, we are so dependent upon you and you don't want us to do this without you and you have offered yourself and so we welcome you. We say, Holy Spirit, come. You speak today. You let us hear your voice and the things of the Father and the Son, in whose name we pray. Let it be so. 
As we make our way through the gospel stories of the life and teaching of Jesus, there's three things really that I'm hoping for us to consider and learn, things that I sensed were what God was asking of us as a congregation as we look at these passages. Firstly, how did Jesus live? That as we read these texts, that we can pause long enough to say, how did Jesus live? What were the ways that he did things? How did he relate to people? He's to be our teacher. He's to be our mentor. And so the best way to learn from him is to see how he lived in the scripture. Secondly, what were his spiritual practices? I've emphasized those on different weeks. Um, Throughout the gospels are ways that Jesus lived, practices that he did, that participated in him becoming the kind of person who he was. Um, We think of Jesus as fully God, and he was, but as fully man, he experienced life as we did and grew in stature and wisdom even as we do. And so we can see, and my hope would be that as we see them, we can be encouraged to say, hey, maybe, I, maybe there's some spiritual practices that I can participate in that can help me as well. And then thirdly, what is the eternal life he's inviting us to live? It's my sense and understanding that, that everything Jesus teaches is about our relationship with him, the Father, the Spirit, and their eternal life, their divine life that he has invited us to right now. The material this week, uh, passage was long. I hope you took some time to read and reflect and ask God what he wished to show you from it. In my own reading, reflecting and praying, there are a number of questions came to mind. Some of them were, so what do Jesus' statements mean about being born from above, born of water and spirit, born again? What is born of flesh? What is born of the spirit? And then the wind blowing and those born of the spirit. What are those? What do they mean? What does Jesus mean by using the emphasis of very truly, I say to you, or truly, truly, as it's translated more appropriately? What does Jesus mean about seeing and entering the kingdom of God and then his later reference to eternal life? And then finally, the the question arose to me as I was preparing, what what does it mean to believe in Jesus? So I want to spend a little bit of time on each of these. So what do Jesus' statements mean about being born from above, born of water and spirit? I don't know if you've noticed... Uh, But the Bible in the Hebrew culture has a tendency to have a variety of words or phrases that mean the same thing, yet with a different emphasis. What were the names of Jesus? What were some of the names of Jesus that the Bible uses? Messiah? Of Jesus, I don't think he was described as Jehovah, but as God, he is and would be. Names specifically that were used of Jesus. Teacher, rabbi, prince of peace, son of God, son of man, Emmanuel. Okay, we got it. Uh, And they're all Jesus. How about, here's this one's a little harder. How about the names the Bible uses for Satan? Serpent, Lucifer, evil one, Beelzebub, 
I got three more on my list. Devil, Devil we, yes, maybe that was. The accuser. the accuser. You guys have come up with more than that's on my list already. <laughs> All right, I'll give you my last three. Tempter, you guys are great. God of this world, roaring lion. So each name, though different, expresses something different, some different aspect of who they are. And similarly, Jesus is describing here in this text one thing, though different aspects of that one thing. Born from above speaks of the divine and heavenly aspect of spiritual life. Born again highlights spiritual birth being something different than natural birth. Which, uh, I'm sorry, contrasting what is born of the flesh is flesh to what is born of the spirit being spirit. This also highlights this aspect of spiritual birth being something different than natural birth. And if you remember, reflected Nick's own confusion. Nick's question was, well, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? No. What's born of flesh is flesh. What's born of the natural, the worldly, is of flesh. What's born of the spirit is spirit. They're different. They're not the same thing. How about being born of water? Now, this one confused me personally this week and was wrestling with it and talking to the Lord about it and got a little help from some friends. Uh, in my uh, commentary tools, uh, being born of water could be taken as meaning natural birth. But having just clarified that natural birth, being born of the flesh, is different than spiritual birth, it's more likely that born of water and the spirit are expressing the same thing, not something different. Now, <clears throat> baptism, which it is referencing, in my opinion, and other washings in the Jewish understandings represented spiritual cleansing. They represented renewal and even new life. Listen to Paul's words. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Water and the Spirit, washed in the Spirit of our God. And then in uh, Romans 6, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So this statement about being born of water and spirit are both, in my opinion, saying the same thing. They're referencing aspects of this spiritual birth that Jesus is talking about that Nicodemus is really having a hard time with. And perhaps we do as well. Now, maybe the most difficult phrase is to understand Jesus' statement uh, in verse 8 where he says, "...the wind blows where it chooses." And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, I'm doing a community group on Tuesday nights, and uh, our group is reading these 
uh, texts and reflecting on them prior to our Tuesday night community group that's up that was behind us uh, prior to this Sunday. And this phrase came up uh, in our group as kind of like, what in the world does that mean? And uh, so I, I was, because this second line, the first line sort of is talking to us about the spirit or the spiritual, right? Wind, blow, wind is the word for spirit. It's, it's one word. You could translate that. This, the spirit blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. Could be saying that. And I think that is referencing the spiritual, but it says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And in our group, somebody said, so what does that mean? Those who are born of the Spirit don't know where they're coming from or where they're going? I don't think so. Here again, Jesus, I'm sure I believe, I'm sure I believe is describing spiritual birth in a way contrasting it to natural birth. Listen to these thoughts. They're just thoughts. If you don't like them, throw them away. You're good with that. In natural birth, it's very clear how the process works. We're all very familiar with it. There's conception, pregnancy, in utero development, and birth. You can, you can watch it happening, or at least later stages of it, right? Spiritual birth, however, is not so clearly seen and understood. And... I might suggest that while natural birth has its mysteries, for sure, spiritual birth is much more mysterious. It's like the wind. You can't see it. It's, it's not naturally discerned. Spiritual birth is something that you should be able to see its effect and its outcome, but you can't see its actual happening which I would suggest is probably a process and not a moment. However, that's questionable how that process. But that it's mysterious and that we cannot easily and readily say when a person got saved or came to Christ, we can acknowledge lots of moments of leading. And so that creates for us, again, this recognition of the spiritual as being mysterious, as being in God's hands, not something we can control. It's not like in the natural. It is something different. So what does this tell us about Jesus and the eternal kind of life he invites us to per our goal in looking at these passages? Well, in our very physical, material world, the idea of a, another realm that is invisible is hard to imagine. Yet clearly the Bible and Jesus describe another reality or realm that we are invited to interact with and participate in. But do we really believe it? And if so, is that belief lived out in our lives on a daily basis. Next question <clears throat> that I reflected on, what does Jesus mean by using the emphasis of very truly I say to you? Now that's a, it looks like it's a minimal thing in the text, but it stood out to me. And in particular it stood out because I, under, I knew the translation that, that translated it as truly, truly and verily, verily. And I didn't quite understand why this translation said very truly. But 
Um, I think those other translations help us to understand that Jesus is making an emphasis. He's saying, he's highlighting, hey, this is really important. Uh, The words here are actually the same words said twice for emphasis. Truly, truly, verily, verily. And they mean truly. Or they could mean it is so or so be it. The word in the Greek is amen, amen. Anybody heard that word before? That's the word we use to end our prayers. It doesn't mean goodbye, talk to you later, which is how I think many of us use the word amen at the end of our prayers. That or to communicate to everybody else we're done praying. But what the word means is it is so or so be it. It's It's coming into agreement with those words as we speak them. As the translations are trying to suggest, Jesus is trying to communicate something that's very important. It's as if he's saying, what I'm about to tell you is absolute fact. And he was stressing the truth and the validity of what he was saying without using an oath, such as, I swear I'm telling the truth. We're so commonly, readily in our society see and experience lying and deception that we have to have some way to make, help people understand that I'm telling the truth. So I say, I swear to God, because I bring God into this, and if I bring God into this, then that means what I'm saying is really true. And my experience has been that anybody who says that, they're really lying. Just a thought. So, why might Jesus say this to Nick? Truly, truly. What I'm about to tell you is really important. Well, how about because Nick was going to have a hard time believing what Jesus was about to say, which in fact was true. And how about that not only was Nick having difficulty believing Jesus, how about that we might have a hard time believing him as well? Very truly, truly, truly. He's essentially saying, this is so according to me. Amen, amen. It is so. It is so. This is truth. When Jesus says very verily, we need to pay attention. I mean, we should pay attention to everything he says. But he is bringing an emphasis here. So what does this tell us about Jesus and the eternal kind of life he invites us to? Well, it tells us that what Jesus says is the truth. And we can and should both believe and take action. We should live our lives based on what he has said. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The way to the Father is through me. Follow me. So let's look at these uses of the truly, truly, which will also lead us to Jesus' words about seeing and entering the kingdom of God because they're what he says after saying truly, truly. The first two uses of the truly, truly in this passage both 
reference aspects of the kingdom of God. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. That was a little hard for Nick to get. I think it's a little hard for us to get. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit, born of the spiritual, not natural, this other birth. May I suggest that the idea of being born spiritually is really important and that being born spiritually is intertwined with both the kingdom of God, which is the primary message of Jesus, and the eternal life that Jesus is going to speak about later in this passage. Here's how the Gospel of Mark summarizes the message of Jesus. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. Good news. The kingdom of God is where God's will and desires are expressed. In a similar way, our kingdom is where our will and desire is expressed. Does that make sense? Kingdom's that simple. Anybody here got a wallet or a purse? A cell phone case with, it's over there with my credit cards in it? That's a part of my kingdom. And you better not take it. Uh, my car out there, that's in my kingdom as well. If you want to borrow it, eh, maybe. We've got to negotiate some things, but yeah, I can let you borrow it. But it's mine. Well, no, it's God's. So anyway, clearly, we are familiar with having a kingdom. We just don't think of it that way. And in contrast, God has a kingdom and is wanting us to both see it and enter it. But in order to do that, we have to be born by the Spirit from above again. Essentially, Jesus' words are an invitation here to believe the good news of the reality and the presence of God's spiritual realm, to respond to this good news with repentance which is to change the way we have been thinking and living, and to be born again of the Spirit, which then gives us access to eternal living now, which Jesus promised in John 10.10 as life to the full. In Matthew 6.10, Jesus invited us to pray to the Father, saying, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is a prayer of invitation by us for God to have his way on the earth and infers our desire for him to have his way in our own life. Your kingdom, the way you want things done, the way that you want to see things happen in the world through me. Your kingdom come. Let your will be done in me, through me, first, long before we can negotiate that for the world. In fact, 
It's only as it comes first through us as Christians will the world pay any attention. Until the will and way of God is the will and way that Christians live that can be summarized perhaps in the most simplistic way as love, the world can't get it. The kingdom can't come in the world in any other way than that it comes through us. So that's what we're praying when we pray that prayer. In our passage from this morning, seeing and entering the kingdom of God means the ability to perceive and participate in the eternal realm of God that is now present in and around us, into which Jesus invites us to live. In the future, yes, but right now as well. And this seeing and entering requires a birth into that spiritual realm which Jesus seems to think is really important. So what is this eternal life Jesus references in this story? <clears throat> what does this tell us about Jesus and the eternal kind of life he's inviting us to? What does this tell us about how to be born again or or how to enter the kingdom. While we readily think of eternal life as the life we will live after we die, there's nothing in Jesus' teaching that suggests that eternal life starts after we die. Eternity started a long time ago. And for us, it at the very least starts from today, if not at a time of awakening or spiritual birth at some time in the past, or as others would say, at conception. But while we think of eternal life pertaining to time, Jesus very clearly describes what he means by eternal life in John 17:3, which I added to this morning's text, though they were not uh, in, in um, chronological order with the John 3 passage. In John 17, Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. To know in this passage, as I've described before, means not knowing about, but knowing in the sense of personal, interactive relationship. I know Juan, and I know Melissa fairly well. I know Juan a little more than I know Melissa. I know Joy better than I know them. Knowing is not knowing about. It's having relationship. So eternal life is a relationship and interaction with God, they whom we know as Father, Son, and Spirit. And this is eternal life or eternal living as it might better be thought of. This is the same thing Jesus earlier described as seeing and entering the kingdom of God. 
It's funny, one of the things that, that we noticed in our community group, that somebody noticed uh, in our community group, was that verse that we all know so well, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that what its context is, is this conversation with Nicodemus and the conversation relating to the kingdom of God and entering it and seeing it and being born again. It's all describing and highlighting one aspect. And it's really important to Jesus. God has created us to not only to live in this natural physical that we are so familiar with, but also to live in his spiritual realm. That realm where his kingdom rule is and happens. For God so loved you and me, the world, that he sent his son, that we might be born again, born spiritually, that we might enter, see and enter his eternal realm that's right here. Jesus said it's at hand. It's touch. It's right here. It's at hand. It's it's. The kingdom of God is not somewhere outside our universe. It, 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 is, it, is, it is layered, it is present within. Okay, I am preaching. I guess maybe preaching, I don't know, maybe preaching's more where, I don't know, never mind. Anyway, all right, last Last uh, question that uh, was raised for me. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? You know, I, last week um, in the text uh, was turning the water to wine. And at the end of that passage, uh, and Peter did a wonderful job. I was so appreciative of him. I'm looking forward to all my friends that are partnering and participating over the, the months with me here in this. But anyway, at the very end, it says, something like, and his disciples believed in him. So here's this wedding, you know, there's this need, a circumstance arises, Jesus is like, uh, yeah, and? But anyway, uh, God's spirit prompts him through, in my opinion, through his mom, and um, he all of a sudden gets it that, oh, yeah, you're doing something. Yes, I want to do what the Father's doing. Yes, let's do this. And then at the end, it says his disciples believed him. What in the world did they believe at that moment? I mean, really. See, I didn't get to preach it, so I have to come back to that. Uh, they believed he was something amazing. They didn't know he was God's son. They didn't know he was going to die for their sins. They didn't, I mean, what did they believe? Belief is, is not a, we, it's on and off. It's, it's you know, we're, we're living life and we're not believing, and then all of a sudden we believe and we believe everything about Jesus. No, it's progressive. Early on, we believe a little bit of something about Jesus. As we go through life, if we continue to pursue Him and relationship with him and knowing him, then that knowing will grow. When I first meet any, have met any of you in this room, and I've met most of you, um, but I didn't know anything about you. 
But over the years, in most cases, I've come to know you. It's the same with our relationship with God. And this aspect of an interactive, conversational uh, relationship with Jesus is something that we're not all that familiar with. And I might suggest that some of us don't even really believe that we're supposed to have it. Or we might think we're supposed to have it, but we're not acting on it. Anyway, uh, now I'm wondering. Twice Jesus states this statement, whoever believes in me may have eternal life. Whoever believes in me may have eternal life, implying from what he said previously that being born from above and being born of the Spirit are accessible through belief in him. How do we enter the kingdom of God? How do we see it? We have belief in Christ. But what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Let me suggest what it does not mean as I understand it. To believe in Jesus does not mean the kind of knowledge that would enable you to take an exam about who Jesus is and what he did, get the right answers, and get into heaven when you die. Let me say that again. It does not mean the kind of knowledge that would enable you to take an exam about who Jesus is and what he did, get the right answers, and get into heaven when you die. That's not belief in Jesus. That's knowledge. It's some information. Belief in Jesus is the kind of knowing that involves a personal interactive relationship with himself, the Father, and the Spirit. Belief in Jesus is the kind of thing I would have with Juan and Melissa and my daughter and each of you. Belief in is a personal interactive relationship. That's what it means. Belief in Jesus is what he meant when describing eternal life. Belief in Jesus is the same thing as living in the eternal kind of life. Belief in Jesus is the same thing as seeing and entering the kingdom of God. Belief in Jesus is about desiring His will to be done in our life and aligning our will to His will. Belief in Jesus is about trusting that He knows what is best and then relying on Him to guide, direct, and resource our lives. Belief is the word faith. There is no difference in the word that's translated numerous times, believe, faith, trust. They're different English words to describe one thing. When you think of faith in God, think of believing, think of trusting. And that is an action, not knowledge. By faith, Moses lifted the rod and through the empowering presence of God, 
saw the Red Sea part. By faith, Abraham and Sarah conceived. By faith, Moses. By faith, we act. We, we live as if that information is so. Belief in Jesus is about trusting that he knows what is best and relying on him to guide, direct, and resource our lives. Or, in a, a Randyism, belief in Jesus is about dying to having the world the way I want it and living according to the way God wants it, which is best for us and others. Now, here's the next one. Belief in Jesus is to believe Jesus. Let me say that again. Belief in Jesus is to believe Jesus. Last night while I was trying to sleep or fall asleep, which didn't work real well, the Holy Spirit gave me a comparison to help you with. I believe in Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormons, Mormon church. I believe in him, that he was a historical character, that he lived, that he wrote those things, but I don't believe him. I am not going to take any action according to the words that he wrote. Though there are some of the words that he wrote that parallel words from the scriptures. As anyone might do in a poem or a YouTube video. Because the words of scripture are powerful. They are the very words of God. But I don't believe him. I believe in him, but I don't believe him. I will not take action. I will not live my life according to what he said. That's a distinction, in my opinion, between belief in Jesus and to believe Jesus. To believe that he is the best informed, most intelligent man who ever lived and is still the best informed and most intelligent man alive. To believe that he knows the truth about our world and our universe even quirks and quirky people. To believe that he is not just smart, though he is, but that he is brilliant and should receive hundreds, if not thousands, of Nobel Prizes. To believe that he is now supervising the entire course of world history while also preparing the rest of the universe for our role in it. To believe that what he said is true and to align our life with it. And then the last one. To believe in Jesus is to trust Jesus with our lives today as well as our future in this season of life and in the next. And so as I finished this last night, I felt a sense 
that Jesus wanted to ask us a question this morning. I can't tell you for sure if this question is his, but it came to me similarly as other ways that I, I sense and hear him. And here's his question. Based on those statements, along with all the rest of the statements about Jesus in the New Testament, do we believe in him and the good news of the reality and presence here and now of God's kingdom, his spiritual realm? Do we believe in him and the good news of his present reality, kingdom, realm here with us? Do we really believe that? Are we willing, if needed, to repent, to change the way we have been thinking and living? Are we desirous to be born again of the Spirit, giving us access to eternal living now? Are we desirous, are we seeking, to be born again of the Spirit, giving us access to eternal living now. Now, we might think, well, yeah, I already did that. I, I, yeah, I, I was born again back in 1823. Oh, no, was that uh, 19? No, was that? Uh, anyway. I, I did that when I was a child. I did that when I was a teenager or when I was in college. or I did that numerous years ago. I would like to suggest that being born again is not so much a momentary circumstance of time, but is a, a mindset, a, a way of thinking and living that is a daily decision that when decided requires daily belief and daily action. feels like every morning we need to be awakened again, born again, awakened to the spiritual realm of God and his kingdom and his rule first and foremost in our own life. And as we grow in that awareness of God in our life, like Jesus, we can then lift our eyes from ourselves and begin to look around us to see what God is doing in the spiritual realm in the lives of others. But a spiritual practice that we need to implement is a growing awareness of God in our own life. One of the spiritual direction questions we learned numerous years ago, those of us that are uh, expressing that ministry tool, what's God doing in your life? Sounds like a simple question. 
but can you tell me one thing right now, if I were to ask, what is one thing that God is working on in your life? Not that you want to see changed, though you might want that too, but what's one thing you're working on? I'm sorry, what's one thing he's working on? God is always at work. He's at work in you. Are you observant to know what he's doing? I'm going to give you one of mine. He highlighted it this morning in my devotional time, reading next week's text. I have a huge problem with focus and distraction of stuff when I should be focused on something more important. I'm sure none of you struggle with that. Um, it manifests itself in my devotional time. It manifests itself at work. It manifests itself when I'm having dinner with my wife. It's a problem. And he and I have talked about it for years. And this morning, and, I've, I've, we, and we have worked on it together. It, there's been some change. But it is a present circumstance that he is working with me on. And I think it's hindering my ability to see and enter the kingdom of God more fully. And I'm going to work on that using some spiritual practices more effectively to join him in what he's doing. That's my story. Do we believe in him and the good news of the reality and presence here and now of God's kingdom and spiritual realm? Are we willing to repent to change the way we have been thinking and living? And are we desirous to be born again of the spirit giving us access to eternal living now? I'm just going to give a moment of, of silence. I'm not going to pray initially. And put that back up if you would, please, Terry. And I would just invite you to interact with Jesus. If, if you have practiced the spiritual discipline of hearing God's voice and can um, posture yourself to ask the question, Jesus, what do you want to say to me about this? I'd encourage you to do that. If that's not a practice you've yet uh, been able to implement to feel comfortable with, then I would simply invite you to consider what you might think about where you are related to being awakened on a daily basis to the spiritual realm. Would you take a few minutes and consider that or ask Jesus?
Jesus, what is so comforting and helpful to me is that you're not asking me to do any of this on my own, to do it through my own strength, my own abilities. In fact, that's perhaps the most significant blockage. Because doing it on my own is doing it in the flesh. being according to the flesh what I can do by myself and I can't do this and we can't do this even as Kevin prayed earlier God would you help us would you empower us to do what we cannot do on our own and might you encourage us and grow us to where we would act with you and see and enter your kingdom on a daily basis, your eternal realm, that we would experience eternal living. Not just eternal life when we die, but eternal living right now, today, every day, from this day forward. Holy Spirit, we need you. Thank you. Thank you that you dwell within us. That you are the power source. But we've got to throw the switch. We've got to act. You're the wind in our sails, but we move the tiller. Blow in us. Blow your life. Light the fire again. Fan the flame of passion for you and a desire for your eternal kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to... Um, bring to your awareness that our team finally has a process in place where our sermons are now online on the week immediately after they're given. And they are there from a long way back, like Marchish or April. So if you, ha and the titles uh, are there for this series on them. So vineyardsa.org, a little way down on the left-hand side, little kind of icon thingy that says, listen to our podcasts. It's open to the world. God help us that the world might listen to what I'm saying. But anyway, um, you missed a week. You want to hear it again? I don't know that you want to hear me again, but... It's there, it's available now. So last week's and the week before's and the week before's, they're already there. And they'll be there unless we, we can have computer glitches. They happen, right? But we've got a process in place now. And I really appreciate men who have implemented that and have gotten that current in there. It's very meaningful to me. Um, thanks for coming. Look forward to you. Please... I would so encourage you to, to read the text, even if you just read it through once, read it this afternoon for next week, read it every day, 
read a part of it. It's three paragraphs. It's really long. Um, read one each day. Then read it again. That's six days. Might be meaningful. Invite the Holy Spirit to help you see and enter the kingdom because they're there in those words. Bless you all. Have a great week. And if anyone would like prayer, talk with someone, we've got folks up here that will be uh, available to do that. And uh, I love you. And I'm so glad that you're making this journey with me. Blessings.